Welcome back, everybody. Before we get into this week's show, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that. Turn that red button to a gray button. Hit that little bell icon. You get notified every time we post a video. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other podcast platform, you can follow us on there. It helps us get to know you a little bit better. Shout out to that one person in Spain watching us. <laughs> we also have social media. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. We have a Patreon, and most importantly, we now have a hotline. If you want to share your stories, we'll have the number in the description. If we're talking ghost stories, alien stories, Sasquatch, Mothman, maybe a cryptid that you discovered, and you have a story, you have videos, you have pictures, send them our way. We'd love to listen to them and even talk about them. So other than that, strap on in. We got a fun show today. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show, guys. And welcome back, everybody, to the Acid Cat Spirit Hour. Before we get into the show today, I want to know where our sign is. So last week, okay, listen, we should be kind of transparent about where we record this podcast. We record it on a co-op mothership, okay? So there are other people on this spaceship. And Caleb happens to love the alien fries that they serve, which aren't even, they're just alien-shaped French fries. I don't know why he likes them so much. So you guys know the smiles where it's like the mashed potatoes and the smiley face shape? They're that, but in the shape of alien heads, and they're delicious. So he left to go get some of those while we were recording earlier, and he left the door open, and before I got here, because the beam-up takes about a half an hour, apparently our sign was stolen. So if anybody, along with our whole board, which I can, there was an entire envelope of cryptid nudes up here, and they're gone now, and we would like it back. So if you see it, please call the hotline you see below and let us know where our sign is. We have a cash reward. We also have a goomp reward. And if you know what that is, you know how good it is. With that said, let's get into the show today, Caleb. Yeah, I'm sorry. You should I gotta be, be better at locking the door. It's a spaceship. It's an airlock. There are two doors. How many times have I been over this? I you have to lock the purple door. <laughs> I go over it all the time. Speaking of feuds and fighting, Today, we're going to cover a subject that I've wanted to cover for a really long time. Um, I just haven't been able to because we haven't slotted in and there aren't a lot of aliens <laughs> or uh, Sasquatches in this world. But that's professional wrestling. There has been a giant turkey. Oh, and there was a Yeti. It's a, it's a sort of a wrestling meme. Oh, yeah. there. I take that shit back. There's been a mummy. There, there's the Undertaker. Uh, there's a lot of really silly stuff in wrestling, but today we're going to talk about something a little more serious. However, it does have to do with that suspension of belief in wrestling. Yes. Uh, so the name of this episode has the word kayfabe in it. Kayfabe, well, before we get into any of this, we'll probably define a few terms for you. Kayfabe is the suspension of belief in wrestling. So it's when you know The Undertaker isn't the undead biker of the apocalypse, 
Of course he's not, but if he wasn't, this wouldn't be entertaining, so just be quiet and enjoy yourself. It comes from Pig Latin for fake, because yeah. a lot of wrestling terms come from the circus, mm -hmm. and because they come from the circus, you see Pig Latin terms. Things like mark. Mark is a, it's originally a term for a pickpocket. You'd be marked with a piece of chalk, and they'd know you were an easy target. Uh, heels, faces, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with that. Uh, what are some faces other good... are the good guys, heels are the bad guy, if you aren't. Yeah, familiar. yeah, if you're not, yeah, tweener is what's in between. People like The Rock or maybe Stone Cold. Babyface. Babyface, yeah. Those it's a are the, new face. Yeah, that's a, or, or a super face. Like, John Cena's a babyface. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, color. Yeah, so getting color, that's going to come up a decent amount today as we talk about uh, the wrestlers we're going to talk about. Getting color is bleeding, and it was in, usually done intentionally. It's done on the forehead, and it's typically done with a, the corner of a razor blade or something similar. And that's because you have... Uh, <laughs> it's like the perfect mixture in your forehead because you have a lot of blood because it's on your face, not a lot of nerves, and pretty thin skin. And, you know, it's a relatively easy, big piece in terms of your body. So it's good for getting color. Plus, how dramatic, you know? To any yeah. wrestling fan at home can tell you. I mean... That uh, crimson mask, nothing makes wrestling feel realer. And we are talking about, so we're going to be talking about the 70s and the 80s, the 80s specifically in wrestling. And this is a time before kayfabe had died. Mm -hmm. uh, kayfabe really died with uh, the steroid scandal in the 90s. That's when Vince McMahon had to be a lot more open and, and wanted to... Sporting commissions, athletic commissions in different states, like boxing matches, like that fight that just happened with Jake Paul, or Jake Paul, well, like it matters. Logan uh, Paul Logan and, Paul and Mayweather. May Mayweather. That was an unsanctioned fight, and the reason it was unsanctioned is because there's an athletic commission that has to determine whether or not that's safe. Well, that used to apply to anything that claimed to be a sport. So if wrestling claimed to be a sport, they had to follow all those rules. And Vince's way out of the steroid scandal, they were like, they can't do steroids. They're all athletes. And he went, no, they're entertainers. They can do steroids. Yeah. But we're going to test them anyway. And that was kind of how the veil was pierced when it comes to the modern understanding of wrestling. And now we have, you know cameos where you can have your favorite wrestler under their regular name you know like yeah. it's a very we really are much more comfortable with how it works which is funny because in retrospect these guys protected the business there's another term protecting the business which is to protect kayfabe um things like you know plenty of wrestlers were buddies but if they were feuding you know dusty Rhodes and rick flair good friends real life rivals but good friends but were commonly rivals in the ring they can't be seen around each other. They can't go mm -hmm. to the bar together. They can't, and these are wrestlers, so they're rowdy guys, and they can't be seen together. So yeah. that's protecting the business. So you had to do that. Uh, but yeah, so we're today we're going to talk about the murder of Frank Goodish, aka Bruiser Brody, one of the most legendary American wrestlers um, in Puerto Rico, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, right before a match in 1988. Before we talk about uh, his end, let's talk about his beginning. Yeah. Um, so Frank Goodish, he was born June 18th, 1946. Born nine, 19 inches long. He was, yeah, at 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. He was an athlete his whole life. So he started off um, in high school playing all-state football and basketball because he was a tall, big dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking, what, 6'4"? And, I mean, as an adult, close to 300 pounds, but yeah, as a close to 400. Yeah, as a wrestler, he was about 350, but then he probably would have been closer to about 300 pounds. But regardless, that's a big guy. Big enough to throw you out of any building you've ever been in. Ooh, yeah. I saw a little clip the other day of some bastard cop picking up some guy who's being drunk and disorderly and just, like, walking him out of a fence. The bruiser's that guy. He's the giant guy. Um, and then after high school, he played football for Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, West Texas A&M, I should say. Back then known as West Texas State. 
and then played with four different teams over three different seasons for uh, the Texas Football League and uh, the Continental Football League, yep, which he are played a bunch of triple minor football. league yeah. football teams. And then he made his way to wrestling. And now, I mean, that was a relatively common path. It still is. People like Bill Goldberg or Roman Reigns, a lot of these people, Baron Corbin. There's a lot of modern wrestlers. Bill Goldberg's not really modern, but, you know, uh, that went from a, a, a football career directly to a wrestling career. The anomaly in sports that is Brock Lesnar went from NCAA wrestling to WWE to saying, fuck this, walked on to the Vikings, then went on to win in UFC. Like, certain people just have transferable skills. Now, that guy... Some people don't. Like, when uh, (laughs) when Michael Jordan played golf. (laughs) I was going to say, when CM Punk tried UFC, he just got the tar beat out of him. (laughs) Or, uh, to bring the Logan Paul... Floyd Mayweather fight up again. Yeah. Chad Ocho Cinco. Oh, Ocho Cinco took it hard, man. He gave it a shot, but he got knocked down. He said, I'm going to be pretty okay at football and weirdly change my last name to the wrong Spanish for my number. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. once I retire, I'm going to take up boxing, I guess. Take it on the chin. So Brody went into... Oh, yeah. So Brody, Brody goes, he leaves football, he's a big boy, and, I mean, when you were a big guy, if you wanted to continue and you maybe washed out in football or something like that, the likelihood you would go on to be a professional wrestler was high as long as you were willing to put up with the job. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people... Now it's a little bit different, but even if you look at the working conditions of the WWE, so I'm going to say allegedly to a lot of this so that we don't stand a chance of getting sued because we're too small, but even if they allegedly have some of the worst working conditions so none of their employees professional wrestlers think about wrestlers do what they do every night mm-hmm. those people before coronavirus were, were traveling 5 to 7 days a week they were working 5 of those nights that means that they're doing a match every night they're independent contractors they don't have health insurance they don't have backing from like they don't have pensions they don't have any of this stuff and that is a holdover from the fact that the way wrestling used to work before vince mcmahon bought it all up it was territories and like i said you could work territories you'd go from territory to territory maybe you were a champ maybe you were a a traveling villain like brody usually was if you were a really big guy you were bound to be a traveling villain idea that you would have like job security only relied on your performance yeah and they still kind of keep some of that alive and that's what brody did you know so he it made sense if you were like a capable you could basically go to an oil field or you could go be a wrestler Mm -hmm. you're a big person who can handle their shit on the road these are the two things you can do so a lot of them like brody would turn to wrestling yeah brody had a bunch of different nicknames throughout his career uh red river jack is one he used predominantly in texas uh uh mean I think it's Mean Red was Undertaker's first. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. He's also a big man from Texas. He's yeah. probably going to come up a lot in this. Uh, the Masked Marauder. That's a good one. And King Kong Brody. Which is an homage, of course, to King Kong Bundy. Yes. Yeah, for those who don't know, he was a, a giant, big, bald guy. Uh, and that's a very common thing to sort of pass down your name to another person or to make homage to it. But his most predominant name was Bruiser Brody. Yeah, man. I mean, everybody knows him as Brody. Everybody knows him as Bruiser. Uh, lots of wrestlers have lots of names until they have one. And uh, not not to go back to WWE too much, but obviously it's going to come up a lot today. They famously used to make you change your name so they could own it. Mm. And now it doesn't really work like that because there are too many places to work and the internet makes it so that you can be a very successful independent wrestler. So you get to keep your identity. Well, just like Macho Man, Randy Savage... Mm-hmm. Macho Man, the name, isn't owned by WWE. It's owned by Slim Jim. 
they basically learned their lesson in the 80s to try to own all their intellectual property. And then they did that throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. And then now they don't really have the option because if we want to watch somebody from Japan and you make them change their name, we'll know. Anyway, so yeah, Brody decides he's going to be a wrestler and he's yeah. going to be Bruiser Brody. And he, over the years, becomes synonymous with the hardcore wrestling brawling style. Yeah, Bruiser's a tough boy. So each, each country kind of has their own version of wrestling. Well, each country that celebrates it. There's American wrestling, which is what we know, um, which is the sports entertainment, big lights and all that sort of stuff. Mexico, it's done in a boxing ring. It's extremely air acrobatic and aerial almost everybody is 5'10 or under most of them are joe rogan size somewhere around like 5'4 somewhere uh, around four foot three yeah uh <laughs> so but no but they're smaller because they're they're very acrobatic and they're on a boxing ring so there's no padding so all of their motions like parkour they have to yeah. keep moving and then in japan you have a whole different style in japan you've got uh what's commonly referred to as strong style wrestling and ja japan's vince mcmahon is a guy named antonio inoki and inoki might be more of a n narcissist than Vince is, but that's a big claim. And he wanted things to be like tougher. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, if you've ever watched a Pride FC fight, like a Pride fight championship, Pride fights, those are rigged. Those are predetermined. But the idea with that was that it would be sort of like wrestling was. Mm -hmm. um, so that style of uh, hitting became significantly more of striking became significantly more popular when you had people like Stan Hansen, Stan Hansen, who famously was known for hitting people really hard because he just couldn't see them. Uh, and Stan was a, he invented what we now know as a, a lariat or like a, it's basically a clothesline while you're moving. So he would just wind up and hit him as hard as he could with his forearm. And that's because he couldn't see him. So he just figured the best chance he had is if he just hooked him right here. <laughs> uh, and he, because he couldn't really see him, he just hit him as hard as possible. And it's already a move. You can hit somebody pretty hard with. You can get, you've seen people get chopped, you know? Like, you can get chopped pretty hard. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. So Bruiser was just in that same group, same time period. Like, these big, uh, if anybody's ever seen Vader, you know, when Vader started before he came to the U.S., he was just a big, mean, tough, acrobatic dude in Japan just ripping people's heads off. And it's wild to watch. I've seen it, I've seen all of the types of wrestling as close as you can possibly get. I've seen people take light tubes to the head from two feet away, and Strong Style is so much meaner. They just hit each other. So The cracks you hear when they hit each other, just brutal, man. And that's all Brody was, you know? He yeah. was a hard-hitting man. He was a big, brutal individual. Um, he worked as a, what they call special attraction, because yep. everyone knew... If you booked Brody, you'd get a crowd. We'll play some clips of Brody behind us uh, while we're describing this. But when Brody would show up, he's, you know, he's billed as six seven. He's realistically about six four, six five. He's got wild long hair, this giant wild beard. He's got this big fur vest on. He's got these furry boots, just black tights, nothing else. And he's whipping a chain around as he's walking through the crowd. He was a very scary man. It's and like if. if uh, if Kratos and uh, Craven the Hunter had a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like he's like Kratos and Craven the Hunter's abusive dad. <laughs> he's like you know what I mean? Like he's they grew you each up in get a something of mine, boy. You get the fur vest, you get the chain. <laughs> yeah. It's just like and that's not to say that Brody was a bad guy because he wasn't. He was mm. a very much a family man. He was a very good father. Yeah, that's all he cared about. So that's that's not what we're saying. He's much more like Kratos in that sense, yeah. I guess. But yeah, he was just a big, brutal guy, and there's no way, especially then, you know. We can we know what Shaq looks like. We've seen the NBA. You've seen these imposing people, 
wrestling used to have that sideshow element, right? So yeah. there was something, there'd be tattooed people, there'd be tall people, there'd be outrageous looking people, fat people, enormously jacked people, things that would get your attention. And boy, could Brody do that. Because he was just, he was like a Tasmanian devil if he was the bodyguard to God. He's just he, like yeah. this, this terrifying He also kind of looks like if like, Charles Manson did a bunch of steroids. Yeah, man. <laughs> he just looks like worst case scenario if you don't like Charles Manson. Behind the scenes, uh, Bruiser Brody was very protective of his in-ring image. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like, would do these shows and be, like, the villain of the week, as you said, but also almost never accept losing. Well, he couldn't. Uh, he, you know, when you came in for something like that, uh, a little-known fact about Andre the Giant is that he was only very briefly ever champion. And that's because, especially in the territory days, if you were a big guy, you were largely brought in for the local hero to get one over on. Mm -hmm. the tr okay, so the tradition of wrestling. I'm going to share it with everybody really quick. Here's where wrestling comes from in America. The way that it used to work is a promoter would bring a tough guy to town on Friday. Now, he would find somebody, and he'd lose a fight to him. Maybe find a couple people and lose a fight to him. <clears throat> Pardon me. He'd throw the fight. But he'd say, on Sunday, double or nothing. And they said, okay, sure, you got it. So they'd show back up, double or nothing, fight the biggest guy in town, actually beat the shit out of him because you were capable of doing it the whole time, take the money, and run. Mm -hmm. It's something you still see reflected in some uh, like managerial roles, like Paul Heyman. The guy who brought us ECW, rest in peace, New Jack. Actually, fuck it, this whole episode's dedicated to New Jack. Rest in peace, buddy. You brought me a lot of entertainment when I was a kid. Um, Paul Heyman still does that as a wrestler, you know, or as a manager. He he's very much like the hand, like with Brock Lesnar characters like that. He's the handler of this scary monster. Yeah, and that comes from the way that wrestling started in America. That's how it started. That's what. Abe Lincoln used to do. Abe Lincoln was a professional wrestler, and he'd go to town, to town, shaking people down and beating them up because that's how wrestling used to work. And then he went to law school, and then he <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is actually the same thing that happened to Brody. He also had a really big reputation for being volatile. Yeah, and there were on occasions he would intentionally hit or hurt the people he was fighting yep. if he didn't like the predetermined outcome. Yes, they'll be like. All right, Brody, you're fighting the Colonel today, and he's going to win. And he's like, all right. And he'd go out there, and he's like, this dude's not going to win. <laughs> well, so they're, yeah, uh, giving somebody, hitting somebody hard, uh, throwing a uh, not-so-protective punch is usually referred to as giving him a potato. And, yeah, he was known to, to sack people up. And it was a different time. Like, it was... You know, again, it wasn't TV. There wasn't, like, this larger program. In a lot of cases, this was the last time they were going to see Bruzy. Yeah. Bruzy. This is the last time they're going to see. You know, so if the only time that a fan is ever going to see you, you're going to go out there and lose, and you're supposed to be this imposing guy. Yeah. Say you work a show in Indy, and you're looking real tough, but you lose. And then you go to the guy in Cleveland, and you're like, I want to work for him. And he goes, yeah, you were worth a little more last week. There comes a point where he has to protect his image. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it unprofessional? Probably, but not in wrestling. Nothing's really unprofessional in wrestling. It's a really, really wild business. The story we're telling today is one of the tamer ones, to be honest. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that he was known for beating people up. And people would not take matches with him because he was known to be stiff. And he was known to not... He would give the crowd their money's worth, depending on what he thought that was. Yeah. Um, like you said earlier, uh, Dutch said, I won't even fight. I'm friends with the dude, but I won't fight the dude because he'll kick my ass. Yeah, he just hits too hard. I don't want to have to go do that. Um, his in-ring work and his persona both earned him multiple inductions into Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, we have the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame, the Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame, 
the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Which is the only one that really matters. So to those at home, if you are a wrestling fan, you know. If you're not, there are no real Hall of Fames. First of all, there are n no physical Hall of Fames. Even the WWE's Hall of Fame inexplicably doesn't have a building. Yeah. And last but not least, the WD uh, WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, it's it's just sort of a celebration and the people get to wear rings. But going into the Wrestler Observer Hall of Fame is a big deal. Yeah. That's so that's um it's just it's one of the few uh, publications that people really trust and that matters. Yeah. yeah. Um, next, let's go into the late stages of his career, starting yep. in 1985. Yep. Uh, he did a short stint in the New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and like you said, the leader of that, Antonio Inoki. All Japan. Oh, all Japan. My bad. Yep. Um, but he had a feud with them, and many of their matches ended in either no contests or disqualification. Yeah, because neither of them wanted to lose. Because Inoki refused to lose because he was a megalomaniac. And Bruiser wasn't going to let any promoter put himself over him. Are you kidding? What, so you can pay me less later? Yeah. Yeah, like from Bru... That seems like it... Sometimes the story gets told that Bruiser was like this hard, mean man. He was just a shrewd businessman. And I think people didn't expect it out of a guy of that stature. Mm -hmm. They didn't expect a guy like that, who looks like that, to be capable of having a good business mind. But he was like, hey, I gotta provide for my family. Yeah. I'm not gonna lose to you. Plus, he was enormous in Japan. Like, Stan Hansen, really big in Japan. But when we want to talk about people that would create the shadow that people like Bison Smith and everybody who would go after that today follows, it was Brody, man. Brody was the biggest thing everywhere. He would be the biggest thing right now. If that was happening, everybody would buy that fight. Are yeah. you kidding? You want to see that guy actually fight somebody? I would love to watch that guy fight somebody. I'd love to watch that guy fight anybody. And Logan Paul. Yeah. Logan oh, Paul God. versus Bruiser Brody. Yeah, absolutely. Put him in there with Abdullah the Butcher and his fork. <laughs> but... And his hepatitis. <laughs> Google that. Abdullah the Butcher gave a guy hepatitis once. Um, he then did some freelance stuff because they f he fired him. Yeah. Uh, from All Japan. So in 1987, he began working for the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And he continued his feud with Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, yeah so he had fought with Abdullah a lot. Abdullah had been... Certain wrestlers have, like we talked earlier about... Uh, uh, Ric Flair and Dusty, they would interact with each other in different companies. Basically, any time they were near each other, promoters would put that together because it's a money match. Yeah. And you probably haven't seen it in person before. As well as starting a feud with uh, Carlos Colon. Yeah, so Carlos Colon, uh, I'll fill everybody in on that. Yep. Carlos Colon's um, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly a goddamn criminal murderer and mob boss, but he's also a prolific... Uh, promoter and was a professional wrestler. I'm not going to say he was a prolific professional wrestler because outside of uh, territory in his own control, he was not. Um, Carlos tried really hard to make it through in the U.S. and be a big deal, and he just sort of never did. Um, but wrestling's always been really popular in Puerto Rico, and the Cologne family has always been in charge of it. Mm -hmm. He's always been the booker man and the champion. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of like questionable stuff there. A lot of his nephews and uh, people from his family still wrestle for WWE. Carlos was put in the Hall of Fame just a few years ago, which all things considered is pretty fucking nasty with what we're going to talk about today. Um, but yeah, Cologne was a cutthroat guy. He was uh, known to take no shit and he 
thought himself to be a bigger promoter than he was. Yeah. Because he saw himself in company with people like Antonio Noki and Vince McMahon. And uh, while those Puerto Rico shows did great money, they're one little stadium in San Juan. You know what I mean? It was a very different thing. Um, so Cologne... I say all that because I want people to understand that while we've talked about how Brody... These are two... F- Im- the immovable object is about to hit the unstoppable force because... Brody won't let anybody touch him. Yeah. And he's big enough that he can stop him, both in popularity and in physical yeah, stature. Yeah, just physically can stop them. Yeah. But also, he's popular enough that he has enough leverage to be like, you can't push me around. And Cologne has his wrestling company to push people around. So these two people are not going to get along. Mm-hmm. And Puerto Rico is already a pretty sketchy territory. People might think that a place like Mexico or something might be. No, historically, Puerto Rico was one of the sketchiest places um, to be a wrestler, especially to be a heel. Yeah. Because before wrestling was fake, if you were a bad guy, people would want to meet you in the parking lot about it. Um, And in Puerto Rico, more than a lot of places, that happened. Yes. Uh, Which will play into the story today. But yeah, so I just want to give a little backstory on Cologne to say that uh, he's quite the dirty player in the history of the wrestling business, and that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically speaking, Brody was not, and he was a bastard. So yeah. the two are going to not get along in quite a fashion. Uh, a good little story about Brody kind of taking the show into his own hands if he didn't like how it was working out. January 21st, 1987, uh, he was fighting Lex Luger in Florida. The, the leader of the Lex Express? <laughs> Uh, it was Brody's infamous cage match with him. Yep. Where in the middle of the match, Brody just stopped. Yeah, well, because he was, he was told to lose to Lex. Yes. And he was not going to lose to Lex. So Lex Luger, still around, um, was basically the picture perfect. He's the platonic ideal of the uh, inflated steroid guy. He went from being a professional bodybuilder and a pet project of Vince McMahon's because Vince has this weird thing about Adonis's. Adonai? What is plural for Adonis? Adonis's. Vince's crushes. Yeah. So he, he Vince gets real hard for super muscles, and he doesn't really care a lot about athleticism, and that's always been a very huge drawback of his appreciation of professional wrestlers. So Lex represented all that stuff. He had the Lex Express. It was his bus. All of this stuff, this corny shit, because he had no wrestling ability. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Good old Frank Goodish did not appreciate that because he lived and breathed wrestling. And he was a wrestler. He was not... He was a different kind of guy. He was a different breed of guy. Lex represented these bodybuilders who were clean cut and all this shit. That's the complete opposite of what wrestling is, especially to somebody like Brody because Brody comes from the circus era of wrestling. He comes from it being a sideshow where the freaks all get along. This is where they get to have their way. You're talking about a dude who would otherwise get pushed around. And he's a big guy. When you're in wrestling, you have the opportunity to force your hand a little bit through your physical stature that you don't at the average job, or even at the less than average job. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, Luger represented all these things that he absolutely hated, and he was told to go work a cage match with him, which first of all, this is a brutal man who has no problem hitting people with chains, getting hit with chains, getting color, and he has to go in there with this dude he can't cut up, this guy he can't get color on, and he's got to have a brutal cage match with him. And he's like... So I gotta have a brutal cage match with a guy I can't hit. Yeah, and they were like, "Yeah, do your best." And he was like, "Nah, I'm just gonna fucking leave." Yeah. So what he did <laughs> is 
just in the middle of the match, he just stopped. Yeah. He just stopped doing anything, and he just stood in the corner. And uh, Lex Luger and Bill Alfonso, the ref for the match, were so, like, just befuddled about what was going on and tried to... Well, keep in mind protecting the business, too, right? Like, yeah. Like, at the end of the day, the top priority for every guy in that ring is protect the business. So imagine how angry Brody had to be. Yes. To just be like, no, I'm going to risk people understanding that there's something to this, and I'm just going to stop. And he just stood in the corner. Uh, the ref tried to talk to him. Brody would not respond. And they were like, okay, let's not go with the predetermined outcome. And the ref decided to disqualify Luger on the spot because Luger just went up to Brody as he was just stoically standing in the corner and just kept wailing on him. And... Brody was just taking it. Uh, a term that's referred to as no-selling. He was no-selling. Luger gets disqualified. The match ends. And Luger goes up to Brody and was like, did I do anything wrong to like upset you? Why did you cause this match to go this way? And Brody's like, no, you didn't do anything to upset me. And everyone was like, <laughs> what? Um, no, dude, I'm fine. And, of course, someone asked Brody, like, why did you do that? And he's like, Ah, the match just wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, I wanted to give the people what they wanted. They weren't getting it. Why Why get tired over it? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, to those of you at home that have never been to a wrestling event, I really can't suggest enough that you should go, even if you don't have much of an interest in wrestling, because that live feel is different than a sports game. It's, it's very interactive. It's a lot of people right on top of a couple of people. And it was that was a time when, again, he entered through the crowd. He was yeah. a man of the people. He worked out there for reactions. He wasn't there for TV ratings. He wasn't there for anything. He's there for right now. And if he can't get the people to pop, just to react, if he can't get the people to pop, there's no reason for him to be out there. Mm -hmm. That's his whole thing. He's a boogeyman. He goes, Aah! and people go, ah! And if that's not doing anything, this is a fucking waste of his time. Yeah. And you got to remember, at the end of the day, the way he looks at this is, it's a paycheck, but also, I'm big enough that if you got a problem with this, let's talk about it. Like, he knows Lex can't do anything. The yeah. dude's just full of fashion muscles. What are you going to do? Slip on your own baby oil? Get out of here. There are a ton of different, like, ideas why he did this. One was that Luger wouldn't sell uh, anything, but looking at the match, you could tell that they were actually going pretty well before he stopped. Um, the ref said that there was a miscommunication issue and who would lead the match, and there was no ill will between the two of them. Like, he was just like, they weren't quite sure where to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, another idea that Brody was upset with the promoters over his paycheck, and he... Decided to embarrass the promotion by being uncooperative in the match, which, I mean, he kept it real. So yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't be that surprised by him doing that. But I mean, the only person that really knows why he stopped is him, and he's not around to ask him. So well, and the, yeah, that's the interesting thing too with a guy that big. You know, again, if you're smaller and you're like, I'm gonna get what I want. Famously. Uh, there aren't a lot of instances of matches changing on the fly in the real world uh, in the modern age. The best known one is the Montreal Screwjob. Mm -hmm. That was a title match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, who personally did not like each other, and due to backstage politicking, Bret did not want to lose the title when he did, but instead, they just said, fuck it, rang the bell, Vince told him, no, 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 
you just ring the bell when I need you to. And they took the belt off him and gave him to it, gave it to Sean. And famously, Brett went backstage and clocked Vince. And Vince got up and they just kind of called it even. And it makes me wonder if that happened with Bret Hart in the 90s. I could only imagine how Bruiser would handle a situation like that. So I I say all that to say that him stopping in the ring is probably the most polite way he could have handled oh, a dispute. Because yeah. that motherfucker could have kicked a hole through your door and been like, give me my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then later in the year, he returned. He fought uh, Greg Gagne and Jerry Blackwell. Yeah. And that was like the one thing that people kind of took as being like, oh, well, he didn't really have a problem with the promotion either. Because why would he go back to it? Yeah, yeah. And while he did have a reputation for being disagreeable with promoters, he would also, <laughs> like, if someone was like, hey, we're not selling that many tickets, he's like, well, I'll come fight for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, because everyone knew, if we got Brody, we're going to have a sold-out show. Well, but, you know, to say that a guy like that is difficult is just to... It's that, a guy who knows his worth. Yeah, that's all. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's just a guy who knows what he's worth. It's like, he knew his worth. Like yeah. He knew exactly what he should be getting. He knew if he showed up, you'd get, he'd get you tickets. But if he got you tickets, he wants his share. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants to be paid in scale. And you mm-hmm. have, yeah, in scale. <laughs> and you also have to remember that, like, I think because of kayfabe and the blurring of the line between reality and fiction, one has to wonder how capable. I think most of the promoters that dealt with him would accuse him of kicking a door down whether he was ever going to do it or not. Yeah. Because what we see in a lot of his actions is he could have been a lot more violent than he was. He was actually pretty nice about everything. Yeah, he was, like like we said earlier, if he liked you, he was a nice guy. If he didn't like you, he was still a fairly nice guy, but he'd beat the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and only if he had to. Otherwise, he'd be diplomatic about yeah, it. Yeah, you'd know if he didn't like you. Yeah. Um, but that brings us to... July 16th, 1988. Yeah, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. makes his way to Puerto Rico, and he is booked to fight um, Dan Spivey. Yeah, Dan Spivey. Uh, If anybody at home likes Bray Wyatt or his gimmick, he got that from... Well, he didn't get that, but he and Dan Spivey both were inspired by the movie Fear. uh, And... Dan Spivey, later in his career, this would be after this, uh, worked a gimmick known as Waylon Mercy, where he had fake tattoos on his face. Uh, but Dan Spivey was like a get-around guy. You know, he was like a, a, a journeyman, a hand. Yeah. Yeah, he'd go territory to territory and take a loss. Um, Dan Spivey, his <laughs> Fall down man, as they're known. <laughs> nickname of mine while we were doing Discovery was... Uh, Dangerous Dan, the left hand man. Yeah. <laughs> Which, what a great nickname. What? That's that's also a guy that I'd like trust to do my plumbing. He was also dancing Dan Spivey, wasn't he? Dancing Dan Spivey. Yeah, Dangerous Dan Spivey. Dancing Dan Spivey is one of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, he was he was booked to fight him on July sixteenth, and uh, he made his way to the stadium. Uh, went into the locker room. Well, there's a little more to it than that. True. Yeah. So let's set. We'll set the scene here. He made his way. Uh, to the stadium, in the stadium, uh, Jose Gonzalez, a fellow wrestler and booker, asked him to step into the shower area. Um, and once he did, the way it was laid out, there was like a fogged glass door. The fog glass go- door shuts. Two screams are heard. Uh, there's like an altercation. Tony Atlas looks over, sees Brody hunched over, thinks that Gonzalez just punched him in the chest. Yeah. Goes up to him and notices gonzalez with a knife in his hand and brody is stabbed he pulls him out lays him on the ground so that is the 
story that was taken to trial, I should say. Yeah, yeah, and that is give or take the events. I'll give some context as the, the wrestling guy here. Yeah. Uh, so, Jose Gonzalez, the guy who allegedly stabbed him, uh, almost definitely stabbed him. Like, there's no question about it, but there's never been a weapon found. Um, but everything, you know, he was stabbed. Um, Jose Gonzalez was also a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he was a wrestler who was at the top of the... He was Invader number one. There were a series of them. But he uh, he was number one in the territory, but you got to remember that it was a violent territory. There was a lot of color in Puerto Rico. It was, again, people would throw stones, they'd throw uh, glass bottles, they'd do lots of stuff. It was very um, blood sport driven wrestling. Yeah. And uh, Invader X was kind of trying to be a little bit, or Invader 1 was trying to be a little bit more clean cut. He was trying to make it as a more traditional luchador. Eventually that didn't really work out. He loses his mask. But he ended up wrestling Frank a lot because he was on top and Frank would come in to fight him. Mm -hmm. And most famously, as the story goes, he had a WWE tryout and an alleged contract on the hook, which Cologne would use with a lot of his guys, whether or not that was true. Uh, that's left to you to decide. However, allegedly, he was doing a tryout, which is common. Wrestlers will do tryouts. At the time, you know, you'd have scouts come and watch. So he's doing this WWF, this match for the WWF. In theory, he's told their scouts in the, the crowd. And it's with Brody. Because they're like, oh, that'll be a great match. It's yeah. Brody. Everybody will watch it. And Brody just fucking lit him up like the 4th of July. Just beat the holy hell out of him. And after the match... So he was intended to win, but it's important. A wrestling match is a story that's being told through sign language yeah, and body language. And it's important to win, but it's important to look good even if you lose. Yes. And he didn't look good at all. He, got he won, but he just got the shit beat out of him. So when he's in the back of the showers, he tells Atlas, Tony Atlas, uh, another, like, legendary wrestler also a wwe hall of famer he was a really good friend of brody's and a very Mm -hmm. common wrestler for cologne um he at the time here's invader number one saying one day i'm gonna kill that motherfucker yeah uh he says it um sd jones claims that uh oh yeah sorry gonzalez yeah special delivery yeah so uh sd jones aka special delivery jones such a good wrestler's name yeah so something of a slight high high flyer that's why it was called that but yeah so sd jones uh shared that sorry my mistake yeah says that one day i'm gonna kill that man yeah uh was in like the 70s yeah so there was a yeah it was towards the beginning of his career and then things didn't really go they wanted the way he wanted to he doesn't get this this uh, contract, but the likelihood of him not getting that contract because he just never had one in the first place is much higher than the fact that than the likelihood that Brody caused him to lose it. Yeah, it's like the carrot on a stick thing, Absolutely. where it's like, hey man, if you do good in this one, we'll we'll uh, we'll give you a contract, and it's like, oh well, I have to do my best. Vince, quite literally, is known. His thing is that I'll owe you one. Yeah, I'll owe you one. Just do this one for me. I'll owe you one. And when somebody like Vince McMahon tells you, I'll owe you one. You trust him. Yeah. He, that's never true. He never pays it back. He never owes anyone one. And well, he owes a lot of people one. He never <laughs> he never pays on them. Uh, noted uh, terrible UFC fighter and funny wrestling guy, CM Punk, put it best when he said that Vince McMahon is a billion or a millionaire who should be a billionaire. <laughs> okay, so Invader 1, Jose Gonzalez, the guy who stabs uh, Brody... We'll get to that in just a minute, but there's a little more context to the whole situation. He did end up meeting him in the locker room, but he wasn't supposed to. 
He was actually supposed to be the one giving him a ride to the event that day, which was very suspicious to begin with because they didn't personally like each other very much at all. And for good reason. For years, they had been professional rivals, but also personal rivals. They didn't yeah, really like Brody each other. Yeah, humiliated him. Yeah. And Invader was a loser. Uh, so he was supposed to get picked up by Jose Gonzalez by Invader number one. He doesn't. Dutch and Tony end up taking him to the show. Mm -hmm. And they said that by the time they got there, there was a long line. Everybody was already getting ready. So they get then they get to the dressing room. And by the time they get to the dressing room, Tony's sat down. Brody's sitting down and he's putting his shoes on. And uh, Invader comes in and he has a towel in his hand. This is how Tony tells the story. Now, yeah. Tony's actually told the story a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and listen, there are not, not huge changes between each time he tells the story, but there are definite changes. What I will say, though, is that Tony Atlas is, by all accounts, a pretty pure-hearted man. Um, he, in the wrestling world, there's a lot of bad people. And they're well known for being bad people. There's a really short but well-known list of people who are decent. People like Mick Foley. Tony Atlas is on that list. There mm. are very few wrestlers who universally people are kind of like, no, nah, he's a good person. She's a good person. Because yeah. it's for both. Um, and he happened to be one of those people. So I think if he's lying, he's fibbing. Yeah. I think if he's lying, it's because he doesn't remember it exactly or he wanted to tell it differently. The man's a professional wrestler. If you don't think he wants to spin a yarn when he's got a story to tell, you're wrong. He's going to want to tell that story in the most story way. Yeah. So the way Tony tells the story is he's sitting there, and Vader comes in from, yeah, from the showers, and he says, Hey, Brody, I want to talk to you. So Brody goes, okay, it's not uncommon for wrestlers, as we mentioned, to want to talk about the match beforehand. They might be talking about the finish. They might be talking about some high spots that they want to get into the match. He enters in there. Tony goes back to what he's doing. Moments later, he hears a very loud grunt from Brody, and he's like, oh, shit, did he just punch him? And as he's looking in to see if that's what had happened, he hears another one, and at that point, Brody is bent over. And Brody's a big man. You'd have to. I'm just thinking of how hard you'd have to punch him to make him make that sound. Roughly knife sized. Yeah, about about eight inches. About long. eight inches punch. So he stabs him twice, um, and at that point, Tony rushes in. Invader's still in there. Doesn't leave. Carlos Colon shows up to try to like kind of defuse the situation and see what's going on. Brody's talking to Tony. Tony's losing his fucking mind. He's ready to kill anybody who's in there. Mm -hmm. He's not letting anybody come close. He realizes what's happened at this point. So he's trying to protect him. As Tony's telling them to get the fuck away from Brody, and they're trying to help, eh, trying to help. So it's Carlos Colon and Invader. Dutch is there as well, and Dutch rushes in to try to help. Yes. Um, the thing with Carlos Colon, though, it doesn't seem like he is trying to protect people from gonzalez it seems like he's trying to protect gonzalez from other people yeah he's in there sort of like as a human shield and he he pushes gonzalez back into the shower and closes the shower door and they're arguing inside there but anytime someone comes up to the door uh cologne is like stay back yep i'm taking care of it so that when he says they the president of the wrestling com of the wrestling council the wwc is uh, going after... He's the one who's tearing uh, Invader a new asshole, while yes. Cologne, the owner of the company and one of the stars, is standing outside the door. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so as that's going on, at no point, obviously, 
the EMTs get called. It's really hard to get anybody down there. By the time they do get somebody down there, they realize they don't have a way to get him on the gurney. It takes about 45 minutes for the ambulance to just get to where they are because the match is starting to, like, yeah, let in. So there's a crowd just surrounding. I will say this much. I'm no Paul, but I spend a tremendous amount of time in Puerto Rico because I love it. And San Juan, even now, I can only imagine what it was like in 88. But right now, if you want to get to anything and there's something going on, the traffic's impossible. The roads are little. It's not really worth it. I could imagine that they would take an ambulance that long. Mm-hmm. To get there. It's terrible that it did because the man, he was cut bad. So he had one very large abdominal incision, uh, which had, it went through his lower and uh, his larger and smaller intestine, and it sliced his liver. Mm-hmm. And then he also took another one uh, in the shoulder, which makes you think that he was going to slit his throat. Because the way Tony said it, is Invader stabbed him twice, and he went in there and grabbed Brody and stopped him as he was trying to cut him in the throat. Yeah, and that yeah. caused a uh, superficial cut on his back as yeah. well. Yeah, When he was bit over, and he was trying to supposedly slice his throat, he cut his back and cut his ponytail Yeah, from and, the story. Yeah, and what it, to me what it sounds like... So that part I'm curious about. Now, I I don't know, and there isn't really a good way to know outside of directly interviewing his wife or maybe the guys at the morgue, but the photos, Brody had an open casket funeral. Uh, It's sick. He's wearing one of his Tokyo rugby jerseys. It's so cool. Uh, But he has all his hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he did get cut in the back, and, I mean, that's a pretty clear indicator that he was trying to stab him in the throat, you know? Like, he was trying to finish him off. Yeah. So, we have a suspect. I mean, we have a suspect more than that. We have an assailant, really. Yes. Uh, We don't have a weapon. So, by the time the ambulance does show up, uh, they need somebody to help uh, get Brody on the the gurney. And this is like the hero story uh, for Tony. Uh, Tony decides he's just going to pick him up. Because he's a 350-pound man, but Tony Atlas can curl more than 500 pounds. Yeah. So, he just picks him up. Brody says, please don't drop me. And, and, and Tony Atlas goes, dude, I lift more than you weigh. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to drop you. Yeah, and is... it causes Brody to laugh a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I can clear this, no problem. So he picks him up, puts him on the gurney. They rush him to the hospital, and they need somebody to go with him in the ambulance. So Tony obviously volunteers himself. He's like, well, I mean, obviously everybody else is already trying to get my dude. I'm going to go with him. Yeah. And it's been said, uh, and it's very true, that as a professional wrestler, if you leave the business with more than one good friend, you've really done something special. Mm-hmm. And that was the case that day. You yeah. know, Tony Atlas was that person for Brody. Not a lot of people are close with one another in the business. And Tony, Brody, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but he's just so lucky to have had his one dude there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dutch went on to say that uh, he wished he went with, but he kind of knew that he shouldn't. And when the ambulance well, Dutch driver... Well, Dutch wanted to get out of there, but he knew that he shouldn't leave. Yeah, he knew he shouldn't He's leave. Been, well, he was Brody's manager for a long time, too, and you know, and he helped with the business and stuff. He knew better. He saw what had happened. Mm-hmm. He knew who they were dealing with, and he was like, well, if I leave, all the evidence is going to disappear. He also said that as they were putting him into the ambulance, Dutch said this... Uh, Jose Gonzalez left, yeah. just grabbed his bag and walked out. Yep, just walked right out. And when he left, he said, so yeah, Dutch said that he <laughs> he left, had his shirt ripped, uh, and there was no weapon ever found in mm-hmm. that bathroom. So I assume he left with the knife and then returned to the show, which wasn't canceled. Wasn't canceled. So 
we'll get into this. Showed back up with a different shirt on. Yeah, as we get into like who we think done it. Uh, because obviously, Invader 1 is the guy. Jose Gonzalez is the man who stabbed, stabbed him. Frank. Bruiser Brody was stabbed by Jose Gonzalez. But who put him up to it? So yes. he's he comes back to the show. Jose Gonzalez does. He comes back to the show after stabbing Brody to death. He comes back to the show with a new shirt on. Like nothing happened. Goes to work. Yes. Show's not canceled. Every match goes on. Tony Atlas gets back. He Tony gets Atlas back gets from back. the. He gets back from the hospital. His friend's not doing well. He doesn't think he's going to make it. He gets back to the show, and he gets in the locker room, and guys are laughing and having a good time, talking about how good the show's going. Yeah. And when he freaks out and he brings it up to everybody, and he's like, "Guys, what the fuck? Bruiser got probably murdered." Right there, tonight. The, the blood's still wet on the floor. And it's because everybody in the locker room who was employed by Cologne was told by Cologne's company and men that a fan had stabbed Brody, mm-hmm. that it happened outside, and that he staggered in, and that he had managed to to sort of wander into the dressing room. Yeah. Not dissimilar from Meriwether Lewis. You thought we weren't going to plug <laughs> an old podcast on this one. But it's true. He just wandered in, stabbed, and was like, I'm thirsty. Uh, and then he died. No, but it's... That's not what happened. Yeah. He was stabbed in the shower. He went in to talk to him. Now, a lot of people said Tony was full of shit when he spoke up. And he was like, this is what happened. And they're like, no, it isn't. That's not what happened. The one person who did believe him, though, uh, so Tony still had to wrestle that night. Yes, When he, he got did. back, he went out and he had to wrestle. Dude, can you fucking imagine? Could you imagine if in the middle of this, I got up to go talk to somebody and got stabbed to death. You carry me to the hospital and then you get to just... Do the podcast with somebody else. Yeah, um, but he gets into the ring with the Iron Sheik, um, and he's yes, just not feeling it. That the Iron, Iron Sheik. Sheik. Uh, just type like, Iron Sheik into YouTube. Iron Sheik Twitter, specifically. Yes. Yeah. Um, Fuck you, Hulk Hogan! <laughs> he isn't really feeling the match, because his friend just got potentially murdered. Yeah. He and the Iron Sheik lock up. The Iron Sheik whispers to him, he's like, Hey man, why aren't you really in this fight? And... Tony goes, Gonzalez stabbed Brody. To which Iron Sheik just starts going, that motherfucking fucking motherfucker. <laughs> and then looks at Tony, goes, headbutt me. Tony headbutts him. Iron Sheik drops, rolls out of the ring, and just takes off to the <laughs> to the dressing room, which Tony's declared winner, also leaves, goes to the dressing room. Once the match is over, everyone disperses. Tony goes back to the hotel. So, Tito Santana, known guy who did make it to WWF. Yes, TNT. Yeah, uh, or maybe it was Savio Vega. It was one of the two. I apologize. Lots of wrestlers in my head. But, yeah, so what he had done is he actually went and got Tony's bag for him. Tony's bag. Tony's bag, yeah. And he was like, hey, dude, you need to get the fuck out of here. They know you're talking, and you need to get. Yeah, um, which Tony was approached by the police and was like, hey, what happened? Or do you know what happened? And Tony was like, yeah, yes. I was the only person that knows what I happened. I explicitly know what happened. And he told him, he said, Jose Gonzalez stabbed him, this and that. And the police were like, everyone else told us it was a fan. Everyone else we interviewed told us it was a fan. And Tony's like, no one else was there except Dutch. But I don't even think he saw what happened. And he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. Um, Dutch has even been like, yeah, I didn't see what happened. And I again, was leaving when And it again, happened. it's wrestling. Like, Dutch is known as being a good friend, but he's a wrestling promoter. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day. It's a job. Yeah, and it's also a job that he was making money. So, mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying anything, and Dutch, I know you'll never see this, but if you do, I don't mean anything by this, but I wouldn't trust you. I wouldn't trust your word. You're a, you're a fellow wrestling promoter. Yeah. You're a guy who's got too many things tied to this. I would take Tony's word over anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because Tony had just the right things to lose. You know what I mean? To be honest, in a situation like this. Yeah. Um, by that, I mean his best friend. It gets even shadier. Tony goes to, or not Tony, Dutch goes to the front desk, and it was like, after everything happens, everything calms down, he goes to the front desk and he says, hey, if uh, Bruiser gets any calls to his room, direct them back to me. Um, So he's sitting in his hotel room and his phone rings and he answers it, and it is Bruiser's wife. And it was like, who is this? Because Dutch is like, hello? And she's like, you're not my husband. He said, well, Bruiser had an accident. Which, Which is, man, not the way to put that. He slipped and fell into a dude's knife three times. That's not an accident. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it puts her in the wrong headspace coming down there. You know, you think yeah. something, I don't know, you think he slipped and fell. He's a wrestler. Saying he had an accident might mean that he broke his neck. It might, You know what I mean? There's so many things that... Mick Foley once ripped his entire ear off in a match on accident. So something we share in common. <laughs> so that's not a wrestling match. Mine was well, mine was a wrestling match with a picnic table. But uh, he left his off though. Yeah, I got mine reattached. <laughs> I was young enough that the skin's like Play-Doh, so his was I can be- just do that. His was between two ring ropes. He got he used, he used to do a spot as Cactus Jack where he'd grab the middle rope and he'd bring it up so he was caught in between the two and he'd hang by his neck and it's a fun spot but it's a dangerous spot those are metal inside there and yeah lo and behold he just did it once and he went through the ropes i think it was in a match with vader and he went through the ropes and this ear caught it and just went sheared his ear right off in the match whole thing gross um but it was like yeah brody got in an accident you should come down here so uh her and their son made their way down uh and during that um brody sadly passed he did he did not make it through the second surgery. He made it through one surgery, but not through the second one. Yeah. They were able to patch his intestine, but not fix his liver. Yep. And his liver failed and ultimately killed him. Well, Gonzalez killed him. The yeah. liver. Wasn't just... the liver's fault. No, it wasn't the liver's fault. Yeah. Um, so things are getting real tense. Understandably. Uh, there is a meeting between some of the wrestlers. Tony is invited to this meeting. Everything's going on. They're like... Some people are saying don't talk about it. A meeting that some allege didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, supposedly, Abdullah the Butcher is the one who called the meeting, and if you ask him, he's like, no meeting ever happened. But I would like to make a huge concession here that Abdullah the Butcher's full of shit about pretty much everything. He's got a barbecue restaurant that's been shut down several times for health code violations. Is it hepatitis? <laughs> <laughs> he had hepatitis, and he, I believe it was hep C, and he got color in a match, and the dude he had it with didn't know, and got hepatitis from him because he didn't know. That's why he doesn't. He's not allowed to wrestle anymore. Uh, Abby is widely considered to be. Remember when I was talking about how there's a short list of good guys? There's a long Abby's list at the top of that other really long yeah. list. So he also had a five percent stake in the cologne business. Mm-hmm. So like for him to deny that this meeting happened is an absolute lie. He's full yes. of shit. It absolutely happened. And to everybody go, else who was there remembers it happening. To go with him being a piece of shit still, uh Brody's wife and son arrive in Puerto Rico, arrive to the hotel, and Abdullah is standing there and approaches them and is like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Which okay, to them so this is where it gets even worse. He goes up and says, How you doing? And she's like, well, not good. Where's Brody? Like, 
is he with you guys? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, what? And he goes, oh, no one told you. Yeah, he didn't make it. The good old, yeah, the good old no one told you, uh, oh, you didn't hear. The type of thing that, you know, is like, you can't tell anyone, you know? Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, man? They just got there. His kid's right there. And then being like. Let Dutch tell him. Let Tony tell him, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't hear? Oh, no. Your husband and your dad. Dad. See ya. Oh, my lifelong rival? Yeah, he's fucking toast, man. Scissored him up. Like, it's so cruel to just yeah. be like, hey, I know you just got here, but your husband and your father's dead. Yeah. And then just walks away. Yeah. And so he's a huge piece of shit. Yeah. But. <laughs> Fuck you, Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> what are you going to do? Fight me? I've seen you recently. Are you going to walker me to death? Texas Ranger me to death? (laughs) So, then comes the trial. Yep. Uh, Jose is arrested. No one really tells anyone. Dude, Jose was arrested three days later. Yes. Yeah. In Puerto Rico. Mm Mm-hmm. You walk around the island of Puerto Rico in three days. Uh, Then comes the trial itself. Um, Gonzalez says that, yeah... Uh, it was self-defense. He cornered me in the shower. Yep. And uh, pushed me against the wall, hit me, ripped my shirt open, and I just happened to have this knife on, this eight-inch blade on me, and so, I stabbed him out of self-defense. Yeah, it should be said that at the time, we left out a slightly important detail, but only because I think that it sends the wrong message, but Brody was owed about $25,000 by Cologne. Yes. And his men. He was owed a lot of money. He and when tried he... to buy into the Puerto Rican territory. Yep. Yeah. And uh, his money was taken, and he was not given anything in return. He was owed a bunch of money. So he was buying into the territory, but he also was owed a lot of money just on extend for doing events, for doing contracts. And the thing is, is like Brody, again, this is the second instance in this podcast where we've talked about how he's a big man. If he wanted to, he could just kick the door down, but he didn't. He yeah. could get that money. And he was getting to that point because one of the things he said before he left was, I'm getting my money back and I'll kick every ass on that island until I do. Yeah. Like he was he was clearly at a point where he had been pushed. So the self-defense, mm, I don't buy it because they were wrestlers. Yes. Um, do I think that Brody punked him in there? Probably. In order for that to have been about money mm-hmm. that he punked him on, that meeting would have needed to be about money. And by all accounts, that meeting would have, if it was about anything other than, hey, Brody, I'm about to murder you, it was about, hey, Brody, let's talk about a match we're not having tonight. Yeah. No, it's not like they were wrestling each other. So it doesn't make a lot of sense that they were having a meeting in the first place. Mm-hmm. Typically, wrestlers don't have meetings in private in the locker room. They yes. don't need to. Uh, again, and they're usually split up, and in those days they would have been. So heels and faces would have been in opposite locker rooms. So it didn't make any sense for him to be there in the first place. He has something in his arm. The dude, Tony said he had a towel in his hand. That's obviously where the knife was. I have a very... I bet it wasn't a knife. I would imagine it was probably something that was easier to ditch. But I say all that to say that he has this trial. Yes. He gets arrested. The trial basically doesn't happen. And he he gets uh, bailed out by a local beneficiary, an unnamed beneficiary. An anonymous who was rich un- person. Yeah, undoubtedly Carlos Colon. Oh, 100%. Without question, that was Carlos Colon. And some weird things that happened with the trial. Um, Tony, Tony Atlas, the key eyewitness, 
is never told about the trial. Uh, Dirty Dutch. Dutch didn't get his subpoena until a week and a half after the verdict was read in the trial. Yes. The uh, two men, the only two men who were present when Brody got fucking... A man was murdered. Yeah. Not... Listen, I know it was confusing for them, and kayfabe had a lot to do with it. The police didn't understand it when they got there. The police thought it was a work. They didn't think it was real. A work is a, a play. It's when it's fake. They didn't think it was a shoot. They didn't think it was real. They thought they were wrestlers doing wrestler stuff. Yes. Abby was quoted as saying that he didn't believe it till the doctor said it. I would, again, take that with a huge grain of salt, because that dude's a huge piece of shit. Yes. But still, I think there was enough room... For somebody like Carlos Colon, it's really easy to go after the wrestlers mm. because it's really easy to see the holes. Yes. Because you create them. He creates the shield. It's the same thing Vince McMahon did. One day we'll do an episode on Jimmy Snuka and the fact that Jimmy Snuka beat his girlfriend to death and then Vince McMahon managed to get him off the charge by convincing the local PD that he was legitimately a wild man of Samoa because that was his wrestling character. And at the time... That's kind of how things worked. So when they got there, they didn't fully believe, they being the police, they didn't fully believe or they were just being paid off and had plausible deni deniability to say, we don't believe that this is real. Yeah. Yeah. But they arrest him, has a totally fake trial, total sham trial, gets bailed out by probably, allegedly, don't sue us, uh, <clears throat> Carlos. Yeah, Carlos Colon. Oh, I'm harder to stamp. I got a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Carlos Colon gets him out of jail, and that's kind of all she wrote. Yeah. Nobody was brought to trial. Nobody was... They really didn't try to bring anybody to the justice. There were no witnesses called. Again, Tony wasn't brought down. The only guy who was there, the guy who carried him into the, the ambulance, like, you don't call that man to see what happened. Rode with him to the ambulance, was with him in the hospital assaulted a doctor to get him checked out. That's true. He this famously a punched a hole in a wall. Tell him. He, uh... So he was sitting around, and Bruiser's Some just bleeding out shit. in the ER room, and no one's helping him. And uh, Tony just goes up, and he goes up to a doctor. He sees a doctor reading a paper, walking down the hall. And he's like, hey, my friend's been stabbed, and no one's helping us. And the doctor goes, yeah, man, you're in Puerto Rico. A stabbing is like the cold to us. He's like, it happens all the time. To where Tony goes, no, man, I'm not taking that as an answer. <laughs> Grabs the doctor by the waist, lifts him up over his shoulder, carries him into the room, sets him down and goes, look at him. The doctor moves Bruiser's hand, sees that he's got this, his intestines are coming out and he's bleeding out. And he goes, oh, shit, we need people in here now. Fix this man. And Tony's like, oh, is it serious? And the doctor's like, very serious. Tony gets pissed and just punches a hole in the hospital wall. And they also said, so Tony, when we talked earlier about Tony going back to the show, it's because he got kicked out of the hospital. Yeah. Because he uh, was stressing everybody. He was waiting around and he was like, hey, what's up with my friend? Why is no one talking to me? And the doctor goes, I'm going to be real honest with you. You're going to have to leave. No one can focus on helping your friend because they're all terrified of you. You're fucking scaring everybody, man. You're really mad. You punched a hole in the wall. You're a brick shit house. Like, you're bigger than any security guard we got here. Please just calm down. <laughs> he's like, leave, come back later. And he's like, okay. Went, headbutted the Iron Sheik. Yeah. The Iron Sheik probably tweeted something racist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, 
there's this weird conspiracy going on. Okay, so yeah, we'll get into that a little bit because that's again welcome to the the the, the final the final hour of yeah, the hour podcast. This is when things get fun. The conspiracy time. So I have a few theories. Um, I think Cologne killed him because he had bought into a part of the business and he saw him as a tremendous threat. I also think that he knew Invader would happily kill him because he yeah. hated him he also i think was probably pretty easy to string along professionally being like hey man if you do this one thing for us we'll we'll get you a contract in the mainland could see that easy i think jose did it there's no question yes. about that he stabbed him he had to have there was like nobody else that could have been in there i mean we don't 100 percent know that sure. because nobody else got to go in that room like th there could have been any number of things but the fact that both the president and Cologne were there with Invader right after it happens. They don't get him arrested. He doesn't get arrested for three days. He gets bailed out. He never takes any charges. Man, it sure feels like uh, a, a state-funded assassination. Like yeah. I hesitated because that's obviously not exactly what it is, but it feels like somebody paid for this to happen. Definitely, and it seems like the one thing that sets that off in my brain as the truth is when Cologne went in and... It didn't seem like he was protecting other people from Gonzalez. It seemed like he was protecting Gonzalez from other people. Yeah, because he knew what had happened. He knew That's... that he sent him in there to stab Brody. And he knew that once those boys in that locker room found out that he just sent somebody in to stab one of the wrestlers, every one of those big, tough motherfuckers is going to come find his door yeah. and stab him. That's Because uh, like... imagine working in that locker room. And finding out that one of your co-workers, let alone us at this podcast, one of your co-workers was dealt with by taking him in the bathroom and stabbing him to death. Yeah. You ever going to fucking work there again? No. You know what I mean? And if you're a big-ass boy and that guy happened to be your friend in any way, that's going to be a very different story. So it makes sense that he immediately was like, no, a fan did it, a fan did it. Carlos, you were there. You were there. You were there. You were there right away. You were there when Brody was on the floor bleeding, when your guy had a fucking knife in his hand and he was in the shower. Mm -hmm. You know what happened. Yeah. There's absolutely no chance. So do I think that it extends to the mainland? Maybe not. But I do think Cologne killed him. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. It's like I, I want to put it in a different terms of, say, the Joker stab Batman. And Robin is like, well, you just stab Batman and goes to kick the shit out of Joker. And Commissioner Gordon just walks up and he's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing, man? It wasn't him. It was a henchman. No. No, man, you're supposed to be on the right side of this. Like, yeah. But he, Cologne was worried that... He didn't cancel the show. He didn't cancel the show. A wrestler got stabbed in his Your bathroom. headliner. Yeah. Your the headliner biggest got act stabbed. on the island. The biggest act, one of the biggest acts in the world got stabbed unceremoniously in a Puerto Rican gym bathroom. Yeah. And you think if Bonnaroo would still happen if someone fucking shot Post Malone in a porta potty? <laughs> I hope so. Uh, not a lot of men have died in the ring, thankfully. Uh, no women have, thankfully. Um, but one of them, unfortunately, was Owen Hart. And Owen Hart died of a very unfortunate accident at the beginning of a pay-per-view in 1999. He was to be coming down. And it was Vince. It was 100% Vince McMahon's fault. Without question, Vince killed Owen Hart. And here's why. He killed him through neglect. He was supposed to come down on rigging. But his character, the Blue Blazer, was like this sort of affable, clumsy superhero. So as he came down, as he got right above the top turnbuckle, he was going to hit a quick release and fall and stumble. Because that's like jumping off the top rope. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, well, that quick release, let go at the top. And it happened while they were live on TV. And Owen fell and hit the ring and died in front of everyone. 
and they didn't stop the show and they didn't stop the pay-per-view and they just kept going and it's excruciating because like there's you know stone cold had a match after that and you have an interview with him stone cold didn't like owen a whole lot and the two of them are like just the idea crushes him you know like going out there and having to wrestle after that you see these guys brokenhearted so it's really hard to believe that in this situation any of them knew what really happened to brody because if they did none look what sheik did as soon as he found out yeah, he cheeky baby just went. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. So, so if anyone knew what really happened and kept going, they were in on it. Yeah, they had to because in order to keep operating in the way that they did, you'd have to be completely blind. The boys would not leave each other out there mm-hmm. like that because they know they could be next. Yeah, yeah. They always stand with labor. What do you think, Caleb? So, my from what little information I have, because I'm not huge in the world of wrestling. Give him time. He will. From what I can tell, Cologne had an idea for the path for the Puerto Rican territory. Yes. Um, When Brody bought into it. One could argue he still has that vision. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he's done much with it. No. Uh, When Cologne bought in, or when Brody bought in, he bought enough to have an impact. And he probably wanted to roll back some of the things Cologne was changing to bring it back to its bare bone roots of wrestling, yep. where it was actually dudes fighting, because that's what he loved. He loved the earnest honesty to it. Yeah, he loved giving the people what they wanted. And I think Cologne saw him as a threat. Didn't pay him his money. Kept the money. Then used some of the money at least to pay a dude to kill him. It's probably where all of his money went. It's <laughs> probably a win-win situation. You, whoever Brody bought the shares from, yeah, you supposedly get a guy to pay, pay for his own uh, assassination. Yeah. Well, but, he did. Yeah, he bought he bought out Legend Gorilla Monsoon. So you get rid of one person's shares, so you become an even larger majority owner. The person that's taking over that spot you don't like, and you're afraid he's going to change your vision. So you use some of the money he paid you that you won't give him back, and you won't give him his shares to kill him. Say it was split three ways. Say anything was split three ways. Someone is like, hey, I'm selling my third. Sells his third. While it's in this weird limbo stage, it's technically 50-50. And so if you kill the guy who's taking that other third, it stays 50-50. That's true. You get a higher percentage. Yeah, absolutely. So if this transaction is going behind your back, you don't like it, and you don't like the guy who's going to take the spot, get rid of the guy. Yeah. You get more shares, and you don't have to deal with the guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a win-win. It's a win-win situation. Well, except for Brody. Well, it's a win-win situation for Cologne. <laughs> yeah, not it, for- it seemed to be a lose-lose situation. He either didn't get his mo- a lose-lose-lose situation, <laughs> didn't get his money, wouldn't be listened to, and also died. Regardless of why Cologne did it, it's pretty clear he did. He's never going to get charged with it. Nothing's going to come from it, unfortunately. But hopefully anybody who listens to this podcast now knows the truth. Know that Bruiser Brody was stabbed to death uh, by Jose Gonzalez in a bathroom in 1988. It was almost absolutely the doing of carlos cologne allegedly stop us from getting sued but we definitely think that that was the case thanks for joining us it's been a lot of fun if you uh didn't check us out last week please do that one was a lot of fun we're talking about aliens aliens in texas and the sign's still here the sign that got stolen it was still here before it got stolen while caleb was on lunch lock your doors spay new to your pets and we'll be around in a week or so to do more of the same but we love you guys Thanks for joining us. Have a great time. Follow us, like us. Please listen, share, or argue with us, by all means. But have a great day. Thank you. Tell us we're wrong.
bum 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 Best version? Limp Biscuit. That's not even ironic, it really is the best version.